Welcome back, all you crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back with another solved murder case to share with you all. Today's case was left unsolved for a long time, and this case is just proof to never give up hope for a missing or murdered loved one. The answers are out there somewhere. It's just a matter of finding the missing pieces to the puzzle. So without further ado, let's dive in to today's case on the murder of Paige Bergfeld. Paige Bergfeld was originally from Denver, Colorado. She was extremely family-oriented and a very loving and kind, affectionate person. She absolutely adored having family gatherings and hosting big get-togethers. Prior to having children of her own, Paige really was drawn to the idea of being a mother, and she couldn't wait to embrace that position whenever the time came. Those who knew and loved her before she ever had her own children knew that when the time came, Paige would be an incredible mother who doted on her kids. After graduating high school, Paige moved to Florida, where she was attending the University of Florida on a scholarship to pursue a degree in nursing. According to the 2020 episode on Paige, her high school sweetheart, Ron Beegler, followed her to Florida, and it seemed it was soon after that that her grades began slipping. It wasn't long before Paige decided to drop out of college altogether. After dropping out of college, Paige and Ron decided to pick up and move back to Colorado, where they both were from. Soon after moving back to Colorado, the couple decided to tie the knot and officially begin their lives together. One thing that it did seem like that the couple didn't talk about prior to getting hitched, which I think most people feel that this is extremely important, is what their future looked like as a couple. Paige very much wanted to begin a family. But when she brought this idea to Ron, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with the idea of having kids, which this ended up being a deal breaker for Paige. There was no way she can continue a marriage with a man who didn't want kids. When she felt that it was almost like her destiny or her calling to become a mother, After two years of marriage, Ron and Paige officially get divorced in 1997. According to an article published on Medium.com, instead of going back to school to pursue nursing, Paige began working at a strip club. Paige was absolutely beautiful, and her looks really helped her out in her new profession. Not only was she raking in the dough and paying all of her bills with plenty of money left over, she was also getting introduced to very influential people at the club. And this is where she would meet Rob Dixon. Rob Dixon was an emergency medical technician and entrepreneur, but he came from an extremely wealthy family who made their fortune in the early days of cell phone technology. So technically, he didn't necessarily have to work because his family funded most of his lavish life. And let me tell you, he lived an incredibly lavish life. 
Rob Dixon had six sports cars, but the one he was most known to drive was a bright yellow Ferrari. When Rob and Paige began dating, she was the recipient of many gifts, including diamond bracelets and even a $12,000 diamond necklace. When Rob finally gets down on one knee and asks Paige to marry him, he did so with a bright and shiny $85,000 engagement ring. After getting married, the newlyweds moved to a beautiful home in Grand Junction, Colorado. Now, one thing that Paige absolutely loved about Rob is that he was just as ready as she was to begin a family. The couple kick-started their family right away, bringing a beautiful baby girl named Jess into the world, followed by two boys named Taft and Trigger. They had what appeared to be the picture-perfect life. That is, until it wasn't so picture-perfect anymore. According to the 2020 special, Paige's father states that Rob made a series of bad investment moves, which ultimately led to a lot of stress within Rob's life, which then got negatively pushed onto the marriage and Paige. Soon, Rob was struggling financially to pay their mortgage of their large home, and things were just not going in his favor. The pressure within the marriage was building, and one evening in 2004, a call to 911 was made. On the call, Paige states to the emergency dispatcher that she and her husband had been in a fight, and Rob was supposed to watch their children while she went to work. And according to Paige, Rob had stated to her that he would make sure that when she got home from work, that all of the children were murdered. Authorities did get involved and no charges were put against Rob Dixon at this point. But 12 months later, trouble would be brewing again within the Dixon home. In a fight between Paige and Rob, things escalated and became physical. Rob was arrested for third-degree assault after slapping and punching Paige multiple times within their heated exchange. It was also reported that when he assaulted Paige, she was holding their youngest child, who was just a toddler at that time. There are multiple sources who state that the reason that this fight began to break out with to begin with was because Rob was upset over the fact that Paige, to help compensate for the money that they had lost, decided to go back to work in the adult industry, which this really upset Rob, and so this fight broke out. After going to court over his charges, Rob pled guilty, despite him claiming that he never struck Paige. He was sentenced to have to attend a mandatory anger management program. Rob and his lawyer claimed that they believe that Paige had made up both allegations about him saying he was going to murder the children and also him hitting her, so that in the scenario that the two had to go to court, Paige would easily win custody. In 2006, the marriage between Rob and Paige finally came to an end. But prior to their divorce, Rob really hit rock bottom when he filed for bankruptcy. And his image within the community was ruined due to being unable to pay for some equipment that he had leased and then donated to first responders. 
His image got completely smeared when that equipment that he donated was repossessed from the first responders who essentially needed this equipment. So pretty much everyone in the community thought that he was just this big sham and they were really negative and nasty towards him. After the divorce, Paige was left with her three children and had to figure out what she was going to do to be able to afford life. Her friends also shared to 2020 that Paige was really concerned about the kids ever being around Rob, and she even wrote a blog in March of 2007 which stated that her children would ask her if dad was going to kill her, which she continued to say in the blog that she can't imagine what life would be like for them if he killed her. But with Rob's reputation ruined in the small town of Grand Junction, he ended up picking up what was left of his life and moving to Philadelphia, leaving behind Paige and their children in Grand Junction, Colorado. To support herself and her children, Paige had to get creative. She started a business where she taught dance classes to children in multiple different locations in Grand Junction. And then she would hold big recitals for the little dancers, and she would even make their costumes herself. It was the perfect little job for her because she loved working with kids, and she was so passionate about it. On top of being a dance teacher, Paige got involved in a direct sales company called The Pampered Chef, which for those who aren't familiar with this company, it is a multi-level marketing company that was founded in 1980, and it offers a wide variety of kitchen tools, food products, cookbooks, and so on. Which I have to admit that a lot of my kitchen is filled with these tools that I have gotten from my friends hosting parties. But the appeal to many men and women who get involved in these MLMs is the fact that your business can be flexible. Often those who recruit for the various MLM companies target stay-at-home moms to be their new recruits. Due to the fact that you can run your business essentially from home using only your cell phone or computer. It can be very appealing for individuals who need to make some extra income but need that flexibility that a 9-to-5 job cannot offer, and Paige was the perfect fit to sell these kitchen gadgets. The best way to sell these products is to host parties or have individuals host parties for you where they invite their friends to shop the product. Paige was constantly hosting these parties and making them into a sort of dinner event where people would come and enjoy food, all while hearing the sales pitch for the various different products that made the food possible to eat. Paige did really well at this and worked her way up to the director position in the company, which meant that not only was she moving the product, but she was recruiting new consultants to begin selling Pampered Chef, and she was essentially being a leader for them to help guide them with their new business. Another perk to starting your business with these MLMs is they sometimes offer extra incentives, including paid-for trips. And Paige was noted as one of the top sellers for the company, and she earned herself and a spot for her children on a trip to the Caribbean. And if that wasn't enough for Paige, she had another business where she was selling baby slings for nursing mothers. Life seemed to be falling back in place for Paige, and she was proving to everyone that she did not need Rob's help or Rob's support for herself or the kids. In 2007, while attending a pool party, Paige is casually talking with one of her friends, and she mentions to her that she has been fearing for her safety. 
Her friend assumed that Paige was concerned about Rob coming back and harming her given their history, and she just comforted Paige and just reminded her that Rob was really far away in Philadelphia and that he wasn't going to come and hurt her. But Paige expressed her feelings of worry to fellow Pampered Chef consultants in an online form board that they used to communicate and then get marketing ideas from each other. She stated that she was worried that her ex-husband would come back and harm her. Four days later after the post, on June 26, 2007, Paige went to a mom's group in Grand Junction. The mom's group all went out to a restaurant, and this is something that they did very often, and it just was kind of like a time for moms to get together, unwind, and think about something other than mom life. There was about 20 women that were a part of this group, and they all were very familiar with each other. While out, they all noticed that Paige just wasn't her normal and cheery self. She seemed like there was something going on in her mind or that maybe she was depressed. Her friend who she had confided in at that pool party was there and she began to worry that maybe something deeper was going on and that Paige really was worried about Rob. A couple days later on June 28, 2007, Paige called and spoke with her good friend Andrea over the phone. Andrea was also a part of that mom's group, and she had stated that when she talked to Paige on the phone that it did seem like there was something still on her mind, but she was acting a lot more like her bubbly self than she had been at that get-together. Andrea also stated that Paige was excited about something, and that something was that she had planned to meet up with her first husband, Ron, and she had stated that she still had feelings for him despite the years that had passed, and that she felt that them meeting up together again was destiny. On that very day that she talked to Andrea, she was going to be meeting Ron halfway between Grand Junction and Denver in a place called Eagle, Colorado, which this was about a two-hour drive from Grand Junction. They met up at a Riverside Park where the two of them had a picnic and caught up on all the time that had passed. After their picnic, the two of them said goodbye, and Paige headed back to Grand Junction, and Ron went to Denver. Paige called Ron to make sure that he arrived back home, which he had, and the two of them chatted for a few minutes, and she told him that she wasn't too far from home, and then they got off the phone. But Paige never went back home. Her children and their nanny began trying to call Paige sometime that evening, but her phone went straight to voicemail, which the nanny knew that this was extremely odd and very unusual for Paige because she always made sure that she was available for her children. So fear set in really quickly, and they went down to the police station to file a missing persons report. Two days later, Ron had actually called in a missing persons report as well when he hadn't been able to get in contact with Paige and when he learned that her kids couldn't get in touch with her either. In his call, he specifically states that she is definitely missing because she wouldn't just leave her children. When Paige's father got the news about her being missing, he instantly jumped in his car and drove from Denver to Grand Junction because he knew that this wasn't like his daughter. Upon arriving in Grand Junction, he helped search the home, the property, and around 9.30 p.m., they had bloodhounds on the ground searching for any possible trail leading from the home. 
The following night on Sunday, July 1st, 2007, a woman called 911 to report a burning car located on the corner of 23rd and Logos in Grand Junction. When fire crews and police arrived on scene, they found Paige's red Ford Focus engulfed in flames in a parking lot that was just two miles from her home. Most of Paige's car had been lost to the fire, but it was clear to inspectors that this wasn't just an accidental fire. This was arson. As cops began evaluating her car, they noticed that the front driver's seat was pushed all the way back. And this was interesting to them because Paige was only five foot four, and she wouldn't have been able to reach the pedals had she been driving the car in this position. Miraculously, they also found Paige's daily planner that had survived in the trunk of the car. When looking inside, they found that four days of Paige's had been torn out, which investigators assumed that this was intentionally done by whomever had taken Paige and that whatever was written on those days, the person responsible must have felt that they were incriminating. This was clearly more than just a mother who ran off, and it was becoming more and more clear that they needed to find Paige and fast. Since Ron was the last person who had seen or really spoken to Paige, he instantly jumped to the top of the list of persons of interest in her disappearance. But once they obtained cell phone data for Ron Beagler, he was quickly ruled out. Cell phone records showed his movements from when he was last with Paige and then his travels back to Denver, placing him over four hours away from Grand Junction. After interviewing those closest to Paige and who had been communicating with her leading up to her disappearance, authorities quickly learned that Paige had concerns about her ex-husband, Rob. But Rob was quickly ruled out, and he was confirmed to still be at his home in Philadelphia and nowhere near Colorado during this time. With both of her ex-husbands ruled out with solid alibis, it left investigators scratching their heads on who could want to hurt Paige Bergfeld. After the car was found, the search efforts intensified and over 200 volunteers came out to search the fields south of Grand Junction, searching for anything belonging to Paige. Her father was desperate to search everywhere that he could. 24 days after she was reported missing, he takes his searches to the Colorado River. In a news clip that was a part of that 2020 special, her father, Frank, talks openly about how he doesn't know when to let go and just come to terms that she is gone. Or when to stop search efforts and know that she just isn't coming back. As a parent myself, I cannot imagine this heartache and constantly wondering where my child is and wondering if as a parent searching, am I doing enough? Am I searching hard enough? And when should I stop searching? I think for me personally, the guilt would eat me alive if I were to stop. So that alone would be what drove me every single day to get out of bed and search for my babies. Despite all of the searches for Paige, there was no sign of her or any clues into what happened. That is until a motorist traveling down Highway 50 pulled over on the side of the road with a flat tire just about 15 miles away from where Paige's car had been found. While changing out his flat tire, he saw something lying in the grass. It was Paige's checkbook. When investigators were notified, they came out to search further for anything else of hers that they could recover. 
During their search, they found business cards for Paige and other various items littered throughout the side of the road. When examining some of these items found, investigators realized they were holding a crucial piece of information that would ultimately help break the case. Among the business cards that they had found, they found one for a business called Models Incorporated. And this was a business that Paige had started, but she operated under the alias of Carrie. But the most shocking information for her family was that this business was an escort service. She would either meet with clients at their home or a hotel, or she would allow them to come to her office, which she had used this office for her pampered chef business by day and escort service by night. Only a very, very small few knew about Paige's Models Incorporated business, and one of those individuals was a friend of hers by the name of Carol. When investigators asked Carol about her escort service, she told them that she knew about it, and she even recalled a time when Paige felt extremely scared and uncomfortable about a situation. She tells investigators that one evening, Paige received a call to meet with someone at her office. And there wasn't really full details on this story, so it gets a little bit confusing. And I couldn't find whether Paige actually performed a service for someone that called to meet at the office or if this person just never showed up. But Paige ended up locking up the office and left. And this is when she spotted a white pickup truck pulling up. It really spooked her because it was late at night and there was nobody around and she didn't know this truck, which makes me believe that the person that had called stood her up and that maybe whoever had called was this person with the white truck who had bad intentions. But either way, she bolted to her car and hurried as quickly as she could to get inside. Once she got inside her car, the truck ended up circling back out of the parking lot and sped off. For whatever reason, something in her gut told her that this situation was bad and she was extremely shaken by it. According to the friends who knew about Models Incorporated, the type of services that Paige offered was things like massages. And for the right price, these massages would be performed either topless or completely nude. She also worked doing bachelor's parties and stripping for private events like that. And what came as a surprise to me, and I'm sure authorities, was that her ex-husband, Ron Beegler, the man that she had seen earlier that day when she went missing, knew that she was doing these services. When they asked him if he knew about the Models Incorporated business, he had stated that he had known, and it appeared that he actually approved of it. In an interview, Ron had stated that the average call was around $450 and that this contained zero sexual touching or zero sexual contact and absolutely no way, shape, or form was any kind of sex performed. They also had discovered that Paige had ran an ad in the local paper calling herself Carrie and offering services. Also, while digging, investigators found that Paige had a profile on a website called NaughtyNightlife.com, and on her profile, she posted a picture of herself and description of her looks, body, and her services, which stated that she provided escort, erotic massage, 
private dances, groups, and parties, and it also stated that she provided services to both men, women, and couples. Again, all of this was a shock for her family, but they realized that this was Paige's attempt to make money to provide for her children and maintain the roof over their head. Now, the home that Paige and her second husband had bought was a million-dollar home, and at one point, the mortgage was $6,000 a month. When the divorce was finalized, Paige was left with the house, and she did everything she could to provide for her children and allow them to continue to live the life that they knew. I think that any respectable woman would work hard for her children, and at no point in time do I believe it is appropriate to shame Paige or judge what she did to provide for those kids. Even one of her closest friends and once roommate had told 2020 that this was something that Paige felt she needed to do to put food on the table and a roof over their heads. When the media caught wind that Paige had a secret business and the nature of that business, it was splashed all over the news that this missing woman was an escort. And unfortunately, this caused the local community and many who were following the case to completely lose interest. And I just want to pause here for a second and talk about this because it is something that I find extremely important and it needs to be said. What someone does in their personal life, whether it be a sex worker, a naked masseuse, someone who has addiction, yada, 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 that does not make them any less worthy of being found. It does not give the excuse that whatever happened to them is something that they deserved. I will say over the last two years of having this podcast, I have found that if you're an addict or if you have these dark demons that come to light, people seem to think that it's okay to say that they put themselves into these positions and that they essentially deserve whatever happened to them. This thought process is extremely sad, but it's the reality that many families face when fighting for justice or answers for their loved ones. Thankfully for this case, though, despite the attention from the community dying down, the investigation only got more intense. Investigators learned that on the night that Paige had vanished, she received over a dozen calls from different men seeking her services. They were able to work through a list of individuals who had phoned Paige on that day as well as known clients of hers, and they brought in a 55-year-old man by the name of Lester Jones. Lester was a married man who worked as an RV repair mechanic, and the place of his employment just so happened to be across the street from the parking lot where Paige's car had been found. Not to mention, this man's rap sheet was longer than my arm. While interviewing him, he did admit that he had hired Paige for an erotic massage the year before where she was completely nude. But he had stated that they did not have sex because she had told him that she did not have sex with her clients. Lester had also been calling Paige repeatedly for services in the days leading up to her disappearance, and her friend Carol had stated that Lester had even made an appointment to see Paige on the day before she went missing. But Paige was getting a little worried about Lester's obsession with her and feared that he had found out who she truly was. So instead of going to the appointment with Lester, she sent Carol in her place. Carol said that when she went to meet Lester and walked into the room, he had told her flat out that he wanted sex. She told him that he was going to have to call a different escort service because that was not what she was there for. 
Instead, he agreed to a different service, and Carol and Lester chatted it up for a while, but all he wanted to talk about was Paige, and he told Carol that he knew that Paige was the ex-wife of Rob Dixon. While investigators interviewed him, they asked him if he had known that she was Rob's ex-wife, and he had said that he knew the moment that she walked in for their very first meeting that she was the ex-wife. Lester fully cooperates with investigators, allowing them to question him without an attorney for over two hours. He even gave them his fingerprints, allowed them to swap for DNA, and handed over the keys to his truck. When asked which vehicle he was driving, he stated that it was a white Dodge pickup. Hearing that he drove a white pickup sent alarms ringing in their heads. Could this be the white pickup that Paige had told Carol about? When examining the list of numbers that had called Paige on the day that she went missing, they had a mystery number that had called five times on that day. This number was tracked to belong to a disposable track phone. They asked Lester if he had purchased his track phone to communicate with Paige, and he had denied ever owning a track phone at all. But something wasn't sitting right with investigators, and they decided to search his home as well as the place of employment at the RV mechanic shop in Grand Junction. They were able to find Viagra condoms, a black Victoria's Secret bra, and under his desk at work, they found a gasoline can. When questioning the owners and employees at the RV repair shop, they all stated that there was absolutely no reason for Lester to have had that gas can, and that having these within the workplace was very unusual. But the most damning evidence was the packaging for a track phone that was located in the trash can of his office. Investigators were able to track where the phone was purchased and they traced it back to a local Walmart where they pulled security footage and found an individual that looked just like Lester purchasing the phone. When investigators asked Lester Jones about whether he purchased this phone at the Walmart, he denied it completely, even after they told him that they had video footage of someone who looked practically identical to him buying it. He still denied ever purchasing a phone. At this point, investigators felt that they had their guy, but to add one more piece of evidence to their growing list, they were able to get assistance from trained dogs. They flew in dogs to help search Paige's car to see if they could get any kind of hits off of it. The dog was able to hit on the scent of a dead body within the backseat or the trunk of the car. The dog was also provided the scent of Lester Jones to see if he could hit on the car at all, and he did. The dog hit on the front driver's seat for Lester's smell. And let me remind you that this seat had been pushed all the way back to compensate for someone taller to drive the car. Lester Jones was six foot four. But without Paige's body, former district attorney Pete Hutzinger was hesitant to press charges against Lester because a lot, if not all, of their evidence was circumstantial. So the case went cold and everybody hoped and prayed that someday Paige's body would be found. That someday finally came in March of 2012 when a hiker hiking not far from where Paige's belongings were found on the side of the road stumbled upon human remains. They were located down in a gulch in a dry stream bed. After five long years of lying out there, all that remained were bones. 
which made it impossible to figure out the cause of death. But there was one indicator that whatever happened to Paige was violent. Wrapped around the skull was duct tape and the jawbone had been fractured, leading investigators to believe that Paige had been beaten to death. As soon as the body was positively identified by dental records to be Paige, Lester Jones was arrested for kidnapping and murder. Lester's trial began in July of 2016, nearly a whole decade after Paige had gone missing. And this wasn't going to be an easy man to convict. But the prosecutors were hopeful that the jury would put the pieces together and realize that they had the right man. Prosecutors' theory was that sometime after 8.57 p.m. on June 28, 2007, after the very last phone call made on Paige's phone had happened, Lester Jones kidnapped and murdered Paige. He then used her car to dispose of her in that gulch and then took the vehicle not far from his workplace and set it ablaze. Prosecutors even had Lester Jones's ex-wife come in to testify about him having a violent past, where he slapped her around and even kidnapped her at gunpoint threatening to kill her. She was able to escape and Lester spent five years in prison for that attack. The defense came out with their own potential suspects and had several different people testifying about calling for services that night, including a man who had been waiting at the Motel 6 for someone from Models Incorporated to come and provide him a service, but Paige never showed. They brought out multiple individuals and several of which claimed that they had even paid Paige for sex. But as the truth unfolded in court, many of these men had alibis for the night she went missing. But the bombshell that the defense attorneys had hoped would create enough reasonable doubt for the jury was one of Paige's clients by the name of George Coraluso. He had an extensive record which included theft, burglary, DUI, and even kidnapping. Phone records show that in the hours before Paige went missing, George had been calling her nonstop and had called nearly 20 times trying to set up an erotic massage. A woman by the name of Megan Williams was also put on stand, and she was a friend of George Coraluso and had spoken to George two days after Paige had gone missing. She states that he was frantic in the days after she went missing, stating he had to get out of town because his family had been killed in a car crash, which was a lie. Megan had said from day one that she fully believes that George was responsible for the kidnapping and murder of Paige. But George couldn't be put on the stand because he drowned in 2011. But investigators felt that they thoroughly investigated him and ruled him out as being involved. But some of the most damning evidence I feel against Lester Jones was that two days after police first initially interrogated him, Lester attempted suicide with an overdose on sleeping pills. Not long after his suicide attempt that very same day, investigators called Lester just to let him know that he could come and pick up his pickup truck and that they were done searching it. But to their surprise, he was acting very weird and completely out of it. And he made a groggy and almost incoherent statement. He stated to them, quote, you asked me where I should bury a body, end quote. The officer on the phone was stunned by this question, and they believe that this was some sort of accidental confession on what he had done to Paige. When it was time for the jury to deliberate, they came back stating that they were unable to come to a unanimous decision, and the judge declared a mistrial. 
Prosecutors retried Lester for a second time in November of 2016, but this time, instead of ending in a mistrial, the new jury found Lester Jones guilty of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Lester Jones is currently 70 years old and is serving his sentence at the Fremont Correctional Facility in Cannon City, Colorado. Paige's family was able to get some sort of closure, and they have now since turned the location where Paige's remains had been found into a makeshift memorial. But they will fully never recover from the hole that her absence has left in their hearts. Her parents had to bury their only daughter. Her brother has to live without his sister. And the hardest thing about all of this is that Paige's children have to grow up without their mother, who truly did anything and everything that she could to provide for them. Paige Bergfield was absolutely beautiful, and she did not deserve what happened to her, despite how she chose to make her money. Crimeaholics, if you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you find us by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover. We also encourage all of our listeners and members of the group to share all things true crime. Also, make sure that you follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. If you're interested in following me personally, you can find me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. Bye.